Welcome to this week's episode of Startups for the Rest of Us. I am your host, Rob Walling. As you well know, each week on the show, we cover topics related to building and growing startups using an ambitious yet a sustainable approach. This is episode 518, and today is an experimental format. It's a format I don't believe... If I recall, we've never done, but it's more than 10 years, so you know you can't quote me on that. In essence, we get about, I would say, 20 cold emails and pitches a week for guests and potential guests wanting to come on the show. And my memory is that we have had exactly zero of those cold pitches on this podcast. Uh, it's just too overwhelming to go through them, and frankly, most of them are so far off topic that it's, it's just a sea of, of conversations that would not be relevant to the startups for the rest of us audience. This week may mark the first time that I've ever had someone on who has cold emailed. And this is a LinkedIn ads expert named Anthony Blattner. And in fact, he didn't cold email. He cold LinkedIn outreached me. And the reason I was intrigued is I like talking to specialists in their area. So Facebook ad experts, Google ad experts, LinkedIn ad experts, someone who really knows their their space and knows how to, how to engineer it and do it well. I'm always intrigued by their knowledge. And so I started talking with Anthony a little bit. And I actually listened to a couple other podcasts that he was on and realized he knows what he's talking about. Um, he actually runs an agency called Modern Media. It's at modernmedia.io. And as I started thinking about it, I thought, you know, I could bring him on and have the same general conversation that he might have on any other podcast where I say, who do LinkedIn ads work for and how should you target them? And general question number three, and we could run through it and that would be a fine interview. But I started thinking, you know, what if I brought a startup founder on the show who might be considering doing LinkedIn ads or is going to be doing LinkedIn ads soon and had Anthony basically do a live back and forth conversation, like a real, almost like a real client uh, consultation. And so that's what I did. So I reached out to a few founders I know, and as luck would have it, John Samuelson, the co-founder of Scatterspoke, which is the company that I interviewed last week. So I interviewed John and his wife, Colleen, about them starting Scatterspoke, which is an online agile retrospective tool. And so we got to talk through their story last week. And then he was available to do this and he had considered LinkedIn ads. And it just seemed like it made a ton of sense to just piggyback this week's episode with last week. So today we're going to hear from Anthony Blattner, and John Samuelson. And Anthony's going to give John advice on LinkedIn ads. And not just advice, he goes through the step-by-step -step process that he uses to onboard clients and, and asking them about the roles that you want to target and to get an idea of audience size and to get an idea of, of what you should give them because sending them through a free trial, as Anthony says, is, is not usually the way to go. There's a wealth of knowledge in today's episode. If you are considering or have thought about LinkedIn ads, I, I do think it's well worth a listen to hear Anthony's process. This is someone who does this day in and day out with clients, and he obviously lives in breathes this ecosystem and he's focused on it. So there's just a lot of, of knowledge, I think, being shared on the show today. But before we dive in, the second annual State of Independent SaaS survey went live last week. You can head to stateofindiesass.com to take the survey. If you are a SaaS founder with at least $1 in monthly recurring revenue, we would love to hear from you. And filling out the survey not only gives back to the community because we create the 70 plus page glossy report that we you know passed out last year, 
but you get an extra, I think it's called the marketing extras or the marketing bonus chapter if you complete the survey. And the survey is taking between six and eight minutes this year. We've streamlined it just a bit. So we'd really appreciate you checking it out. We already have hundreds and hundreds of responses and we're looking to beat last year, which I believe was just shy of about 1,600 responses. So stateofindiesass.com. And with that, let's dive into my conversation about LinkedIn ads with Anthony Blattner and John Samuelson. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Likewise. So listeners who tuned into last week's episode, they already have quite a bit of background on Scatterspoke, uh, and I think we'll update them on that in, in just a second. But I think I wanted to, to start off, Anthony, with a question for you for a B2B SaaS founder who might be listening to this, who really has that high-level question of, should I even consider LinkedIn? Like, What needs to be in place for LinkedIn to potentially be a viable channel for a B2B SaaS founder? Yeah. So a couple pieces that you want to have before you go use LinkedIn. So LinkedIn's a great channel for professional targeting to be able to get in front of B2B companies. LinkedIn does tend to be a more expensive channel to use. So you want to make sure you have your different pieces in line before you go use LinkedIn and, and you pay those higher prices for their advertising. A couple things that we usually look for or recommend to use LinkedIn is, first of all, having your LTV be around 10K or above to start. LinkedIn's a more expensive channel, so when your LTV is above 10K, then the math gets easier. If it's below 10K, it can still work, but you'll need to have your other pieces of your sales, sales process like really tuned in to make sure you're maximizing that. The second thing you wanna have is a specific target market a specific ideal customer profile that you can target. You know, Some companies out there might serve every professional or they might be for every business owner. And then when you have an extremely broad audience, then then honestly, other channels might be cheaper and better for you. LinkedIn is awesome when you need to target a niche decision maker at scale because that's what LinkedIn has is like those job titles, those industries, those company sizes that you just can't get anywhere else. So having a niche ideal customer profile is important. And then thirdly is having your sales process dialed in. You know, like I said, LinkedIn's a more expensive channel to use. It's a great place for starting conversations. And for a lot of people, it's the only place that you're going to be able to go to find your target customer. So because it is more expensive, you want to have your sales process tuned in. So as we generate leads for you, you can then go work those leads and turn those leads into customers. Yeah, the way I've thought about it is, you know, Google searches and frankly, whatever, Bing searches, good DuckDuckGo searches, they're about intent. And it's about someone needs to do something now. They're searching for red Nike shoes or they're searching for how to make a, a pumpkin pie. Whereas Facebook tends to be about interests. You know, it's, it's more about who they are and what they're interested in. And I had thought, and I have not really run LinkedIn ads before, but I had assumed that LinkedIn would be based on kind of company type, employer size, and role, most focused on the role of the individual. Does that sound relatively accurate? Uh, yeah, that is accurate. You know, most, most of our campaigns do use that company and professional targeting. So what's the role somebody has and then what type of company or industry are they in? That's the data that like nobody else has that LinkedIn does has. And we always say like LinkedIn is one of the first places people update when they change roles or change jobs. So it's usually pretty up to date, pretty accurate info. And there are some other targeting options outside of those that we do use that are useful to say, who do we want to target? But then also, what is this person interested in? So that we can find those people that are a good fit and are interested in our offering. 
Sounds good. So so let's dig in. John, you haven't had much of a chance yet to speak, but folks who listened to last week's episode already know something about Scatterspoke, but do you want to just give the maybe the 30-second rundown of what Scatterspoke is, and then we'll hand it off to Anthony to kind of uh, run with this. Yeah, absolutely. So Scatterspoke's an online agile retrospective tool, and it was kind of born out of playing around, and you, you can kind of get that story from last week's episode. But essentially, it allows you to have remote distributed, or you can use it in the same room, agile retrospective, and some kind of uh, analytics and tools around it. Gotcha. Yeah, and I, I listened to a little bit of that episode and took a look through the site and all that. So the one thing that I remember that you were talking about in the last episode was your different, you know, your different customer segments and that you have kind of three different tiers of those customer segments. So let's start with that. Let's start with talking about who your ideal target customers and then like tell me about those three different segments that you have. Yeah, so kind of the, the baseline is the people that are in there using it, like on a team level, are, are engineers, developers, scrum masters, maybe product managers to some degree. Those would be on the kind of the team level of people using it. And then as you kind of run up the gamut, you have engineering managers and directors of engineering might use it. And kind of what one of our things that separates us as a tool is we have this feature called scaled retrospectives. So it's a way like if you're a big company and you have 10 different teams, we can break those into, we call them programs. It's a safe term and we will actually talk about that, I hope, here in a few minutes. But it's a way you can like roll up information from teams kind of into a next block and then maybe the director only has to look at this program level retrospective. And those are kind of our, our segments at the moment. Okay, so those are two two good segments. So one is like engineers. You mentioned like the developers, like people doing, people participating in these retrospectives, the scrum masters who are probably running them, and then like the product managers who are also like involved, maybe running those meetings as well. That's number one. And then number two would be more of the, the leadership around the engineering capacity. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So those are two good two good segments. So let's start by breaking down different aspects of this audience, and I'll t- I'll take some notes as we go, and I'll try to help size up the audience. One big thing when we approach LinkedIn is looking at you know what's the size of the addressable target market out there. Maybe some different things that I'll help advise on is like how much to break down the audience into different like segments so that we can split test things when you do launch a campaign. And then at what points do we want to like put together different audiences or you know how to mix and match those. So to start, are you guys starting in the U.S. primarily, or are you guys involved in other countries? So I'd say 70% of our traffic is U.S.-based. We do have a pretty strong usage in Europe as well, and I guess I don't know if we're calling England in Europe anymore, but a lot of people in England, but I wouldn't really focus on them as much. The U.S. is kind of the bread and butter for sure, not much for Asia countries. Sounds good. And then kind of knowing what I know about retrospectives and you mentioned like engineering and developers, you know, talking about like industries that you commonly serve, is it largely the, you know, software development industry? Almost entirely. Uh, although one of our bigger clients is actually in oil and gas. So, you know, oil and gas company of that size, like a worldwide company, they obviously have dev teams too. But I would say the majority of them are, are some kind of very tech heavy focused company. Yes. And on LinkedIn, a lot of companies categorize themselves, a lot, a lot of companies in the tech and the software space, a lot of them will categorize themselves as software companies, but then also a lot of them categorize themselves 
as the industry that they serve. So just a random example, maybe there are some that are software companies, but they serve the oil and gas industry and they probably categorize themselves as that. So my follow-up question is oil and gas can be one. Are there any other trends of industries that you see a lot of? Honestly, no. I mean, it's all over the place from top Silicon Valley household names you would recognize to healthcare to education. Big universities have looked at us. So it's really like if you have a development team, which a lot of companies do now, like you're kind of fair game. And I know that's very wide, but it's just we haven't really seen a very strong niche Okay. And commonly when, when we have like a industry like this, what we'll do is we'll do one campaign or one split test that targets just the computer software industry. And then we'll have one that targets everybody but the computer software industry. So we can see those metrics side by side and how it's performing. Also wondering if you, just as I think about it, do you ever partner or do you think it's a possibility or a good option to partner with, I know there's like agile training organizations out there and a lot of like consulting companies that do stuff like this. Do you ever partner with those kind of companies yeah, we've we've gone down that road a, a couple of times and nothing's really stuck. But I mean, that's like my wife who co-founded this with me. I mean, that's that's how we got in the door almost everywhere is she'd be on training assignments at, at whatever company and be like, oh, by the way, we have this retro tool. So it's definitely a very good way for us to get in. But we haven't had that much luck getting other consultants to, to do it. We'll put that down as like an idea, but my hunch for you guys probably doing a starting with a split test of one targeting computer software industry and then the other targeting every, like all the other industry people so you can see those metrics side by side. So next is talking about the size of the companies that are the best fit. I know you have different plans based on number of users and stuff. Where do you see your sweet spot being? So in terms of size of the company, this is actually something that I was kind of hoping to pick your brain about. So there's a thing in the Agile space, uh, like a framework called SAFE, and it stands for Scaled Agile Framework. And it's a very niche part of the Agile industry, and it's designed for really large companies. It's a way for you to scale your Agile process from 100 dev teams or 50 dev teams, and it's very kind of methodic in how it all rolls up. And some of our best enterprise clients implement SAFE. Now, to do SAFE costs a boatload of money, but obviously these companies are invested in Agile and they're invested in scaling their Agile. And one of our sweet spots for our tool is the scaled concept, right? So I actually think in most of most companies, I think that are doing SAFE, they're, they're like Fortune 500 companies. They're really big. They have 50 dev teams or something. Got it. Okay. So that's good to know. So somebody who's using safe means that they're probably a good prospect for you guys. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm taking a quick look here. Um, it doesn't look like there's a lot of groups on LinkedIn that are about safe and scaled agile. So you would search for like safe program consultant would be a title or a role or agile program manager. Those are kind of key roles. And if somebody has that role at a company, you know, they're deep and safe. Okay. So people using Scaled Agile, I see there's a lot of groups around that. That could be a good targeting to layer on top. So back to the company size factor, LinkedIn has different levels of companies you can target as far as like number of employees that are there. What do you see your sweet spot being as best company size to target? I think that most of our customers are probably between like 50 and 200 employees and those, like, they're not going to have huge engineering organizations at that size. And so they would probably be on our cheaper plans. 
like if you're just talking about like where the most of our customers fall, it's probably there. Our most profitable customers, though, I mean, they're in like thousands of employees. Like I remember last on last episode, you were talking about enterprise companies. So those, those ones are those like Fortune 500 size companies with like thousands or even tens of thousands of employees. Yeah. I mean, those guys, when they buy licenses, they're buying like between a thousand and three thousand user licenses. So let's break, we'll break down both of those in a second. So next is getting into some of the job titles that we could target. On LinkedIn, we can either do job functions or we can do job titles. And under functions, for example, we have project management function and then we have a, the two that I, I think would be good for you are program and project management and then product management. Those people probably have people who are running, you know, running projects, probably managing this process. But as far as like specific job titles go, you mentioned the safe consultants as one. What would be some other job titles that'd be a good fit? So there's a, in the safe world, there's a, also a release train engineer. That's a very safe specific thing. And I, I had mentioned agile program manager. Those are the really safe, heavy things within safe or within any of this industry, though. I mean, software engineer, the product side, I'm not sure as much. Oftentimes at smaller companies, product managers often double as a scrum master. So that could work. But I wouldn't favor that side as much as, like, if you're a company and you have someone that's a dedicated Scrum Master, you probably care about Agile, and so you probably would care about us. Yeah, so I do see that there's a Scrum Master title on LinkedIn, so we can definitely target that. And so product people are likely good, but they might not always be the ones managing this process. Yeah. In general, they're not like they might not be inside of engineering. I would I would do an engineering manager over a product manager just because I think they're closer to the team that's actually using our tool. Okay. There is an engineering function on LinkedIn, so that could be another broad category to use. How about what are some other titles that are maybe specific to this process or to agile that you commonly see? Well, I mean, Agile Coach, again, Scrum Master, you could be Kanban, insert something afterwards. I don't know if you can look for certifications on LinkedIn. Like, is that something you can target? Uh, So there's skills, which often do match up as certifications. Even developers oftentimes will take like a Scrum class or a Kanban or just some kind of Agile training class and they put it on there. But yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the little gamut there. I'd say software engineers, engineering managers, Scrum masters, Agile coaches, those are definitely the bread and butter of the people that are actually using it often. Okay. And then as far as the two segments here, so it sounds like one is like the the engineers themselves. They're a good candidate because they're in the process. And then the other would be like the managers of that process. About how far up the chain would you want to go? I mean, this is a question I would have for you in terms of like purchasing power, right? Most software engineers are not the person that can swipe the credit card and engineering managers can, but we see it sometimes usually goes up to directors of engineering that are usually like, yep, I approve because they usually own a budget. So up above that, I don't think it makes sense. Like I don't think I would target anything with a C in front of it, but I would vice president of engineering, director of engineering, that's probably as high as I'd go in the engineering segment. So next is next is talking about maybe more of those certifications and th- those different skills that people could have. So I did find a number of them on LinkedIn uh, beforehand. So some of the ones that I've found, I guess before I dive, dive into what I already found, tell me a little bit about what are some of those certifications? 
Scrum Master is the big one. There's a Kanban certification. There's a SAFE certification. Those are very like targeted types of skills that you can get certified in. And, and a lot of companies will pay for their employees to get them. Got it. And I do, I do see the scaled agile skill on there. So some other ones that I see on here are that I found that are, are kind of related to agile. Sprint planning is one. Scrum. There is one for like retros and retrospectives. So people who are who are doing that in their jobs, they're probably listing that on their profile. And then another question is different software that you guys integrate with. I think I saw a couple of project management systems. What tools do you guys work alongside? So we have integrations to like uh, Atlassian's Jira, uh, Trello. Those are the current active project management tools. But, you know, if you're using something like Asana or uh, Rally's really big at big companies, those are all, if you're doing that, using those tools, likely you're doing Agile, likely you care about retrospectives. Got it. Okay. So those tools are also good candidates if people are using Asana and Rally. Honestly, even like anything that's a developer tool chain set as well, that's actually on our roadmap to add some integrations with GitHub, GitLab. I would rank those slightly lower than the project management stuff, but those definitely work as well. Yeah. And we can even add different groupings of these together. So we can do like people who have these agile skills, like maybe it's like the safe framework certification and they have agile skills. And then also we end that with the tools that they're using, Jira or Slack or Trello. And then and then we're getting closer to the people who are like the best fits for you guys, you know, people who are experienced in agile, who are doing agile and also using the tools that you integrate with. Those are probably the best ones to target. Yeah, that makes sense. One thing that we can do out there is look at what ads other people are running. So here's a little tip is if you go to any LinkedIn page, um, they've actually just moved this button, but if you go to any LinkedIn page, go to the home section and you scroll down just a little bit to see like their newsfeed, there's a little button that says like posts and like different things that they could be posting. And then there's an ads button next to it. If you click on that, you can see the ads being run by any page. So one thing that we do a lot is go, you know, go look at competitors in any market and see what ads that their competitors are running. It's usually a good place to get, you know, just inspiration to see if there's any trends that you see in their ads or, you know, what's the offer? What are they promoting? What's the angles that they're taking? And then like, what's the imagery that they're using? And, and like some of these tools you integrate with, those could be good prospects to just go check out their ads too. But who would you say are some competitors or like similar offerings out there in the market? Yeah, the, the big one that comes to mind, so it's a company called Retrium. And they do a lot of marketing, like ad spend marketing on Google. I've seen, I've never seen them on LinkedIn, but they could be on there. Another one would be Parable. Kind of to be honest with you, there's not really a lot of other ones. That's Those are probably the two bigger ones. Uh, well, that's not true. So some like things like Miro, like that are huge, they've tried to do little niche side products off their main product. I don't think they would be spending money on advertising for retros, but that's that's what comes to mind. I'm looking at, at Retrium right now. It looks like they have a, a webinar about anti-patterns. And then a lot of their ads are also around like a free trial to sign up to get started. It's also a good good sign when you see your competitors using ads on LinkedIn. That means they're, you know, they're probably, that could be an indicator that they're, you know, having success with it. One thing to just kind of a general LinkedIn recommendation is you do see a lot of people out there that will advertise directly for like free trial or schedule now or sign up now. And on LinkedIn, you're usually paying for every click. So as soon as somebody clicks in your ad, you've paid for that click, whether they sign up or not. So we generally see that those 
you know, those are lower lower converting offers because they're very direct. Like someone needs to needs to know enough about you to be willing to sign up. So we see that those offers can be a lot more expensive to get people to sign up for. So usually what we do is use a content-focused offer to get somebody to sign up, and then that starts the conversation, and then they're in your sales or marketing funnel, and then you continue to nurture them from there. Maybe you reach out to them afterwards and schedule a meeting. So most of our campaigns on LinkedIn tend to be content-focused, but there's a lot of strategy around what that piece of content is. You know, you want it to, in a way, qualify your prospect a little bit so that if they're if they're signing up for this piece of content, then they're interested in what it is that, that you do. So different things that work well are stuff like blogs, turning them into PDFs, white papers, checklists, stuff like that. And I saw you have a lot of stuff, good amount of content on your website. So I'm wondering, what are the best pieces of content that you guys have? And if any of those blog posts are get a lot of traffic, wondering about the content that you guys have. So I actually kind of am narrowing back to the safe thing. So safe is all about scaling agile. If we can show them content around how we can scale your retrospectives, like I think that that's a awesome kind of synergy for them. We have a, we're about to release all new marketing materials. So when we have a page dedicated to scaled retrospectives and also scaled analytics, that's kind of what comes to my mind right away. So now we're, we're getting a lot of the pieces here. So now we're going to start putting this together into, you know, what a campaign could look like. Next is thinking about what the funnel is that somebody's going to go on to become a customer of yours. So I see on your website, it looks like they can sign up right there, but I also see there's like a schedule a demo button. So when somebody signs up on your website, or if you ever have somebody reach out to you and say they're interested, tell me a little about what your sales process looks like. Yeah, so to be honest with you, we, we're just starting to really come up with our marketing and sales process. Traditionally, it kind of looks like they come to our site, they maybe play around with it, they have questions, they book a demo, or they chat to us through intercom or write our support tickets. And so we kind of handle it from there. When we release all this new marketing stuff, it's going to be maybe more traditional. Like if we were to use the, uh, the scaled stuff uh, content as an example, we'd have a special landing page for scaled. You could put in an email address to, to learn more about scaled agile retrospectives. And then obviously, hopefully they'll sign up. We're actually, and I think Rob might kill me because we had talked about this a long time ago, our schedule demo button still goes directly to us without qualifying them really. So it hasn't been that crazy of a problem. So I would either want their email address or for them to schedule a demo as a goal, I guess, from an ad. But I don't have enough experience with these types of marketing ad funnels to, to really speak beyond that. Like that's what I think would be a goal. So right now, is it like somebody hits schedule a demo and then they get in touch with you and then you guys, you know, get on that call, have a quick demo. And then if they're interested, they sign up from there. Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay. Sounds good. Um, so next is starting to put some of these pieces together. So like I said, if you if you go direct with that schedule a demo on LinkedIn, most people out there haven't heard about you. And, and like most companies, just most companies in general out there, if you're not a mainstream company or a well-known brand people haven't heard about you. So if you put schedule a demo in that that first ad, people just don't know enough to be qualified to sign up. You know, someone might submit that form but might not really know exactly what you do, could be a little confused or they think it's something else. So we see that people that sign up for that, usually you know, it's a much lower conversion rate. So you're paying a lot more for each lead and the leads that you get usually aren't great because they just don't know enough yet. So Going content focused, content first, um, the more educational route, using these lead magnets is a good way to get people to sign up and positioning it so it qualifies the person as they sign up. You know, we'll use LinkedIn's targeting so that these are good leads 
that are coming through. So we're only targeting you know companies of a certain size, people with these specific job titles, and then positioning the content as I think something for safe would be a great piece of content to have. You know, maybe it'd be so there's different levels of content, and usually we see that like white papers, guides, and checklists often do the best. Quick and easy downloadables, something that someone can learn something about you. And we see that quick and easy downloadables get the highest conversion rate because somebody can download it quickly, read it, learn a little bit about you, and then you've started the conversation with them, and then you can reach out to them afterwards via email to set up that follow-up call. And you know, not everyone will take that step, not right away, but part of the, the sales process that I mentioned having honed in is you'll wanna have some kind of follow-up email sequence out there, you know, some kind of drip campaign that once somebody signs up and says they're interested and they've downloaded a piece of content, maybe you have like a weekly email or a monthly email that goes out, maybe with more content around safe, you can alternate videos of your platform or like information about your platform, and then you can include little offers in there too of like, here's the next step, schedule a demo or start for free, I see you have here. So having that follow-up sales process is is important. But thinking about what that content offer is going to be, yeah, I think something like safe could be a good, good piece of content. So I actually have a question around that. If we have an ad and we say, here's this great piece of content, come download it, and that, like, that takes them to a landing page of ours where they can do that, is the entire goal for them to download or do whatever that content thing is? Like, should we not even put a sign up now button somewhere on there that's like a different call to action or is the focus to just get them into the get them the content right then and then nurture them through email good question yes so in the funnel you do want to offer them that next step or at least show them what that next step is going to be the first goal is yes get them to that landing page that they can download the content and read it them reading that content is what warms them up to your brand you know they see your logo but more importantly they learn about scatterspoke and they learn what it is you do you know at the end of your pdf you might have a little blurb about scatterspoke and click here to learn more but on that landing page you want them to to learn a little bit you want them to read that lead magnet and then usually maybe lower on the page maybe on the side there we'll have a little button and then like indicate like hey if you're interested in getting Scatterspoke to help you with this problem, to help you with, you know, scaled agile, then click here to schedule schedule that demo. And then oftentimes in our funnels, we'll, there's a lot of tools out there that are like scheduling widgets you can use and you can embed those right in your landing pages. You know, maybe somebody clicks that button, they said, okay, I am interested to learn more or I want to try this tool out because I've signed up for this scaled agile stuff. Then they can click that button and go on to book a call with you. Gotcha. That makes sense. So you can you can do both, but primary focus should be probably on the content, but you can still try to lure them further down the funnel. Yeah, that, them consuming that content is what is going to educate them and warm them up to your brand. You do have a competitor out there, so if they didn't read that PDF, then they don't know what makes you different than Retrium. But with them reading your Scaled Agile piece of content in your lead magnet, you'll want to teach them something, but then also weave in how Scatterspoke helps you achieve that goal. And then through them reading that, they've learned more and they know more about Scatterspoke. Makes sense. So next is talking about what some of the ads could look like. So I have a couple audience sizes here based on the different titles and stuff you've given me. So if we were targeting the computer software industry and if we were targeting engineering and 
project management type of roles, senior to VP levels, and using these different skills. It looks like that's about 20 to 30,000 people in that audience. And, you know, maybe bigger, maybe smaller if we add or remove some of these specific skills that we talked about. But that's that's what we want to see is we want to see at least 20,000 people in that audience. You know, that might not sound huge, but that's still a lot of people out there. If you use an audience that's smaller than that on LinkedIn, you know, you might just have some deliverability issues, trouble getting in front of people, but having a 20 to 30,000 audience is a good, good size. You know, if you go on LinkedIn and you have a massive audience of a million people, then you want to start segmenting that down into different like sub audiences that you can split test. For the other side of things, if we were to target other industries outside of computer software, that, that's a lot of industries out there. So it looks like that audience is about 60 to 80,000 people. And then this one is taking all those agile skills and then also ending that with the different tools that they could be using. So my hunch is this is probably a pretty good audience for you too. So that's the first thing we wanna look at is um, what's the size of the audience that we can be targeting on LinkedIn. Our usual target is somewhere between 20 to 80,000 people. If it's under 20, that might be a little small. If it's over 80,000 people, then usually we have the opportunity to get more targeted in it. So next is talking about what some of these ads could look like. So if we were doing a scaled agile framework PDF, question for you is what are some of the main pain points that one of these scrum masters has approaching scaled agile? So what we've tried to do in our tool is oftentimes, you know, teams will complain about the same thing for months and months and months, and it doesn't really ever leave the team. And so one of the things we're trying to solve with this scaled idea is to elevate them to more leaders in the company. So what we're trying to solve, the pain point specifically, is to get things off the team level and into a leadership level in a formal process-oriented way so that they know what's happening on the teams. Otherwise, it often gets lost and it just remains a problem for long periods of time. Got it. So the problem there is that things are getting lost? Yeah, or they're just never solving the, the problem. They're just like, oh, it's out of our control, right? We can't change some fundamental company thing, so we should just never tell anybody about it. But I think leaders often do want to know about that stuff still. So if they don't feel like there's a way to talk to senior leaders in a company, then they're never going to tell them. And we're offering a way to kind of make a tidy inbox of problems and concerns from teams up to higher up leaders at a company. Okay. Then last last piece here is like what, what some of your ad copy could look like. So maybe you'd say for your scaled agile PDF here, your ad copy might say to the engineers, maybe you'd say having trouble submitting your retrospective feedback, download this scaled agile guide to learn how to better manage your retrospectives for your company. We also find like throwing stats in there can also be really powerful. I saw on your website, it was, there was some mentioning about like wasting time and stuff like that. So different angles you could take is, are you wasting time in retrospectives and not getting anything done? Are you having trouble getting in touch with higher leadership? And then throwing in a stat saying, the average sprint team wastes 30 hours, download this ultimate guide to scale agile to learn more. So, you know, somebody who signs up for that you know, using our LinkedIn targeting, we can know that these are engineers using these tools, participating in Agile, and likely having this problem or interested in the solution that you have, that's probably a good, you know, a good candidate for you. Just an example of some possible ad copy. Maybe another cool thing I could probably do after is send this over to you, maybe package it all up, send it over, maybe put together like an image or two of what it could look like, along with some of the audience targeting stuff that we talked about, put it all in a package and send it over, and then that might be a good kind of wrap up of everything that we talked about. 
Yeah, the, the examples you just gave are, I think, spot on and would totally work. We pretty much narrowed it down to, I think, what would get these safe guys moving, honestly. that they, they love all this stuff. I'm actually kind of curious, though. Like, so two things that we were talking about along the way. We have that one audience size that's 20, 30,000 people. One audience size that was much bigger, like 80,000 people. Who should I spend money on first? That question I'll turn back to you and I would turn back to you and ask, you know, who's the more important prospect for you? Well, I mean, I think it's hard to know, and I'm assuming it's hard to know who's going to pull out the credit card at the end of the day, right? But I guess, is there a way to, um, a way to like say, I want to spend 60% of the budget on that group and 40% of the budget on that group on LinkedIn? Yep. So what we would do is set up separate campaigns to split test them, and then each campaign is its own audience. So we basically split test your audiences, and then you can allocate a specific budget to each campaign. So we could do it. Yeah, we could do sixty percent to one audience, and then forty percent to another. So usually when we launch campaigns, we definitely we, we always have at least two audiences so that we can we have a measuring stick that we can compare them. The different levels of split test we usually set up are at least two audiences, at least two lead magnets, and then you know several ads for them. And then I think probably a lot of companies in my position would want to know this. I mean, everything we just talked about, like what would be, what's the right size budget to think about, right? Like, you know, if you go to an ad company and I have and be like, what should we start with? Well, you should do a 5K minimum. Other people have said like, you can probably get early results for $500 to $1,000. Like, how should we think about setting a budget for something like this? Yeah, so on LinkedIn, LinkedIn is a more expensive channel. I usually recommend minimum for each campaign is, is about 2000 and then minimum on a per campaign level is about 1000 Then you can be sure you're getting at least enough clicks in that you're getting good data, enough data to make a decision based off of. So for here, if we were doing these two audiences for you, I'd recommend 1000 bucks over a month period for each audience and then you know 2000 total. Okay, gotcha. I mean, we're a small, mostly bootstrapped company, so obviously these things are really important for us. And what what's like a kind of a normal click-through rate, just to put it in perspective? Yeah, so normal click-through rate, uh, LinkedIn's average is about 0.4, so anything above that and your ads will actually benefit going in the auction. You'll get cheaper ad costs. 0.4 is actually relatively low, so you know we like to say you want to shoot for usually around like a 0.75 or so. That's a, That's a good CTR that we look for. At the end of the day, we don't look at CTR a ton because on LinkedIn, you're usually paying for every click. So, you know, whether or not somebody clicks, you only pay when somebody clicks. So having a low CTR rate doesn't usually hurt you unless you're below that 0.4 level. So we don't look at CTR a ton, but we more look at like, what's the CPC that you're paying? Yeah, right. But it just helps me ballpark, right? Like I can take the amount of people that might view it and just start to do basic math and maybe estimate what a CPC would look like. Okay, that's all really, really handy. This has been awesome. And Anthony, if if you do wind up packaging that up and sending it over, um, I'd love to pull maybe just a couple pieces out of it, put it in either our show notes directly or maybe as like a PDF people can download just because hearing it all on the show is is super informative, but then being able to even see kind of what you're talking about, I think could be helpful for listeners too. Yeah, definitely. I've, I've been trying to do my best to articulate the different job titles and copy and stuff, but it's totally different, like seeing it down in writing. 
I know, I know. And you had specifically, you know, to call out for the listeners, you had asked, you know, can we do a screen share? And I know that would be ideal, but just, just so many of our listeners are, are audio, going to be audio only that I felt like it would leave a lot of people out. So um, if they need that visual element, we'll be sure to include that in the show notes. And if you'd like to keep up with Anthony, you can head to modernmedia.io or of course head to LinkedIn where he has a uh, prominent profile and more than more than 500 connections. I was going to make a joke and say, and Anthony has no LinkedIn profile, but uh, <laughs> that <laughs> I don't would know if people though. would have, my, my dry sense of humor maybe wouldn't have worked. So, and John as well, you are well at Scatterspoke on Twitter. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me today. It was fun. Thanks for having me. That's right. Thanks again to Anthony and John for joining me on the show today. Again, check out stateofindiesass.com if you are a SaaS founder and are willing to provide anonymized data to help really help educate us all on this whole independent SaaS movement. The non-venture track, bootstrapped or mostly bootstrapped SaaS founders, the more data we can get, the more knowledge that we have and can share with one another. Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you again next Tuesday morning.